0: This is Counterculture with Marie Buskey, Wednesdays at 10am on Reality Check Radio.
1: Welcome back to Reality Check Radio. You are with Counterculture with Marie and this is Media Matters with Marty Gibson. Good morning, Marty.
0: Good morning. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. I'm good. We had such a good time together in Papamar doing it together last week. It It actually was so nice to be sitting next to each other.
0: Yeah, with it's our, more natural, isn't it? Just much a,
1: more natural, our, our mountain of newspapers, because there was a lot of newspapers. <laughs> and it was great. I really thoroughly enjoyed it. So we had a great time last week, which was awesome. And of course...
0: Mrs. Marty and Mr.
1: Yeah, Mr. Marie Mr. Marie, Mr. Marty, um, Mrs. Marty, rather. It was great. Oh, the the Papadopoulos was awesome. Um, the Mount was lovely, so I, can't, I have to say, lovely school holiday break. So, yeah, thank you, ahead. thank you for the hospitality. And one of the things you've also gotten back in the saddle with is writing some columns, which we mentioned. And after our discussion on media matters last week, you extrapolated on that into a column, which is now up on the website under backslash news, realitycheck.radio backslash news. Good response?
0: Oh, yeah, there has. Well, it's, you know, Kiwis are kind of always a bit backwards and coming forwards about opinions that might be controversial. But, I mean, I kept a careful eye on uh, the likes on Facebook and the comments. And so the comments um, against it Well, there's one comment against it underneath the actual article, which was from a, uh, I just had a look at her Facebook profile, a a Green Party lady with a rainbow, you know, she, it's worth reading her comment because it. uh,
1: Well, ups to her for actually reading it, like coming and reading the column.
0: And Uh, it's uh, difficult to know how she got what she said out of it. This is absolutely dangerous and horrible. Time you had a reality check and understood that your words are poison to so many of us. Go and do something useful like volunteering for the Red Cross. Well, I thought what I was doing was useful because I think, you know, what I was talking about in that column was quite a missing bit of the puzzle. And it certainly wasn't anti maori It was, hey, you fellas need to do better to Maori leadership. And it was calling them out on basically... um, having a a bit of a pick around what returning to a traditional Māori societal structure might look like. And I think it's a missing bit of the puzzle because it never feels right to me, this idea of Kiwis being anti-Māori, because it doesn't fit with what I know about how we get on. And we get on good. Mm generally. You know, we've got to talk about the cultural differences. And when you get really down to it with Māori friends and you say to them, hey, you know, you know what a lot of Pākehā aren't happy about with Māori? Is their different opinions on, or different attitude to property rights, say. Pākehā might be appear stingy to Māori or, or cold. And unless we talk about that stuff, we can't get through it. And when we've got iwi leaders and uh, the government, basically growing like cancer between us and and trying to be an intermediary. That's what's driving the division Mm. in in society that we're seeing.
1: I covered breakfast yesterday and one of the clips that I pulled out was Dye And I deliberately chose the section in the clip because she talked about actually some of the elements of that a class and hierarchical system in Māoridom, which which you right. covered in your column, yeah, and and about the language. So we were discussing language. So do go back and check that out on the replays because I think she just summed it up beautifully. And she is the voice. Her and Karina Shields. These are the voices that within the Māori framework, current modern Māori framework, are not being heard. but yeah. being dismissed. You know, so like, oh, Auntie, go back to oh, go back to the coast, Auntie. We don't want to hear from you. You know, you're not in the. Uh, the the inner circle of this new sort of political rangatira, self-imposed rangatira that seem to have been popping up. Yeah, I think you're right. So the column is available at realitycheck.radio backslash news. So do have a look at that. We also got some uh, feedback via the text machine as well. Listening to Marie and Marty discuss the science curriculum and in relation to the Maori wisdom. Have you heard about the research Lincoln University and lecturer Greg Clydesdale is doing on the level of knowledge where Maori got to prior to European settlement? Whilst at one point Maori were world leaders with technology, particularly in astronomy and navigation, they began to fall behind as soon as Copernicus had glass lenses in around the 1400s. So basically, if we were using Maori science, we're literally stuck in the Stone Age medieval maybe, the Enlightenment-ish. Could be interesting interview with him that she's Wendy. So thanks for that, Wendy. I mean, we're going to sort of have a little dig into that and have a look but we're starting to get people engaged with the content which is really important and i think this might be your same commenter uh, that just went seriously please educate yourself about um te o Waitangi. now what this commenter doesn't know is you and i and mrs marty and mr marie have actually in the last couple of years done a lot of work in that space mm-hmm. and uh and that's why sometimes we do our opinions are quite formed and we're quite strong on them. is isn't because we're just reading what is on Facebook and social media. We have actually done a bit of a dive and we have looked into a whole bunch of elements within Māori culture outside of our own lived experience, Mm. but also our own sort of way of knowing and knowledge and how we were raised. And we've spent time on marae and we've gone to hui and we're not just plucking the stuff out of the air. We we have checked it out and we've spent uh, a good amount of time continuing to learn. And I don't know about you, Marty, but I learn something new all the time and it's yeah, an well, evolving you've thing. You've got to it's be about-
0: open to change your mind. And the people who have changed my mind most about Maori issues are Maori friends, mm. you know? Uh, and, but, but also, I mean, I talk about opportunity cost with, with government a lot. And I, I watch what Iwi leaders are, are strutting and pontificating about. And I always think, you know what, if I were a Māori leader, I would be most concerned that Decile 1 schools, which are often quite high proportionately in in Māori students, have a 3% pass rate of basic reading and numeracy tests. 3% after 10 years. That would be my hot button. That... And reducing the amount of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, which of course is not confined to Māori, but is a major problem for the tutua. Just seems like such a distraction. And as I've said, before women thought the Rockefellers and the CIA were doing them a big favour, sponsoring feminism. But what they were sponsoring was division and demoralisation of their most likely opponents. And I think all this you colonisers. Any decision about uh, this country has to be able to be vetoed by Maori leadership, which sort of puts you in a in a lower position relative to us. That's designed to disillusion people and stop them fighting for their country as it slowly dissolves in a just a soup of Marxism and finance mm. and big corporate interests.
1: Well, I tell you, though, who sees it definitely through a rose-coloured lens is Shane Tepo. Oh,
0: Shane DePoe. Oh,
1: Shane DePoe, He had a rather interesting column this week, and it was funny, before we started, Marty and I, he held up his bits of paper, and it, it appears that you and I have uh, used a lot of highlighter on
0: this, both of us. mm He's a good party man, Shane. Say so what you sh- like it, Shane.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting because to do the breakfast show yesterday, I went back through a lot of our old media matters. You know, Shane crops up quite frequently. And there has been an evolution. The closer to the election that we get, the more partisan we're becoming closer to the election. And the headline for Shame Depot in his column in the Sunday Sunday Herald, Māori Ministers Have a Proud Record, he says. The ugly side of this election campaign reared its head again this week when Christopher Luxon told an audience in Nelson that if, if they wanted an end to the bilingual signs and the use of te reo Māori by government agencies, they should vote national. Make no mistake, we're becoming more tolerant and a multicultural society and that's a good thing. I'm glad he's noticed that, Shane, because we have actually, I think, been there for a wee while. Unfortunately, every time we make some advances towards being in a more inclusive society, that celebrates our Māori culture through things like Matariki, te mātitini, and using te rau Māori in public settings, there is someone to kick us back against it. A bit reactionary, I thought.
0: Well, word reactionary, he actually uses the word mm, reactionary. He does. And reactionary, you've got to remember, it's a very important Marxist word which um, describes someone who does not want glorious revolution for making socialist utopia.
1: And there is a giggle of right-wing political parties all too keen to try and grab those reactionary votes. And, that, and and the interesting thing about all of this, and I think, look, we're, we're going to have to buckle up and strap in people for the next 90 days because this is how it's going to roll. We're going to see all of this tit for tat. And I have to admit, I think I'm starting to feel a bit weary about it already. And we're going to dive into the piece with Winston a little later on.
0: But Sometimes just wake up sort of staring into space, holding your passport.
1: <laughs> oh, you know, I'm so already there. Yeah, uh, So I'm going to, yeah.
0: The other thing in that Shane T'Po article, and it's something I see all the time, is this, this kind of wishing for the older, more conservative New Zealanders to die. It's kind of creepy because, if, as I've said, I can't wait for these old people to die, you know, with their regressive attitudes. it's It's a short hop and one historically that people have made time and time again to, I can't wait for these people to die. I'm going to have to speed it up, and, well, he, and he, it's kind of creepy.
1: It is creepy, and he says here why Māori have become the whipping boy. Why are we being used by the opposition to bludgeon the government? Squarely in the sights of the anti-Māori campaign this is the Labour-Māori caucus. Whether it's scurrilous rumour-mongering or attacks on family members, things are out of bounds uh, when it comes to Pākehā politicians and fair game when it comes to Māori leaders. I'm sorry, that's gaslighting, Shane. John Key was widely Uh, attacked by members of the
0: Māori caucus. They had a creepy interest in his kids.
1: Yeah, he was fair game for a long time. They've had cracks at Seymour for years, and I have to admit Seymour appears to be Teflon on that front. And then they like to have a crack at Winston from time to time, I think because as far as they're concerned, he's not Māori, or even Uncle Shane, they have a go at him as well. So that's a little bit of memory holding and selective thinking on his part. The savage attacks on Nanaia Mahuta and her family by Simeon Brown, enabled by some of the media, were unlike anything I've seen in politics. There is never any evidence of wrongdoing, but it didn't stop Brown, and it led to the disgusting racist attacks from the likes of Groundswell. National's leadership should have stopped Brown's baseless racist attack on a strong wahine Māori leader and a distinguished Māori family. Instead, they encouraged it. But there's no reference to what that...
0: Mm. I've got to get a T-shirt that says, Labour's Māori caucus, putting the Mao in Māori.
1: <laughs> Look, to be honest, I can't even remember what those attacks were from Simeon Brown. Can you remember that?
0: Oh, yeah, it was It was basically pene henare. His wife got half a million dollars in government contracts, and uh, he declared it back in 2018. But again, you know, you often find with these political power couples, you know, whether it's Julianne Genter and her husband or her boyfriend, sorry, partner, partner, you know, who's got some consultancy that got a couple of million bucks for cycle reports or something Mm. like that. Or Nanayam Mahuta's uh, husband, Husband. you know, who who, who got um, all that doc money. The objection to it is that it kind of just underscores that it's a big club and you're not in it. And I think that's where the resentment comes from. And as I said in my column, the resentment a lot of people have towards Iwi leaders is their attitude to park our taxpayers is very much like the attitude that chiefs used to have towards slaves. And uh, we're a proud people with a history of abolishing slavery and opposing tyrants. And uh, we don't like being talked to like that.
1: Yeah, we don't. And Shane is saying here, you know, all of these attacks on Naira, it's unfounded. Well, I mean, I'm sorry, she leaves that bundle wide open. New Zealand pledges almost 19 million for wetlands at the risk of climate change in Asia. Yes, you heard this right, people. I only saw this in digital. And this was Mr. Marie that dug this out and sent it to both of us. New Zealand is giving almost 19 million dollars to help people living in wetland areas in Asia to adapt to climate change and avoid displacement. 19. Million dollars to Asia,
0: just chucking it round. I, I... you know what a good OIA request would be would be, on any of the many overseas trips, did any Labour ministers ever ask the leaders or officials of any of the top five countries that pollute rivers and oceans with plastic to stop dumping plastic in the rivers and oceans, and if not. Well, where does that leave us with our paper bags breaking open and dropping our groceries on the ground? It is just
1: ridiculous. And I mean, nineteen million dollars, guys. If you just want a, a comparative of what it will buy, because of course everything's more expensive these days. Uh, just from a health perspective, nineteen million dollars will get you around three thousand eight hundred cataracts operated on. Three thousand eight hundred cataracts that will clear the cataract waiting list, like the entire mm. entire cataract waiting list for the year that gone but you know what we're going to send it to Asia instead that's what knots my knickers about all of this he then goes on to to do a a laundry list of things that he claims that it's Māori MPs are responsible for including 64,000 more Māori in work in total of 281 more people working I actually think the whole worker shortage might have had more to do with that shame than anything but just saying 5,000 young people have helped off benefits and into work through Manamahi I don't I know that scheme, so I can't question that. The other one was is the huge $7 an hour increase in the minimum wage that's put nearly $12,000 a year after tax into the pockets of workers.
0: Yeah. You've got to look at the billions of dollars, the tens of billions of dollars that have been borrowed and just splashed around. I mean, we've given some examples of it on the show, but they've just opened the tap on that. And... You know, if, if you increase government debt by hundred billion or whatever it was, I had a look for it this morning. I couldn't really find what the public debt was uh, in the in the short time I spent looking for it, but I understand it's over hundred billion. Have you got an a fix on it?
1: No, I know it's huge.
0: If you're gonna turn on the tap like that and to the extent that you actually create inflationary pressure, and there's another thing we were sent this morning saying 77% of the inflationary pressure is actually um domestically generated it's because the government's printing money and spending it that's where the inflation's coming from if you're going to do that you're going to have some outcomes that you can talk about it's amazing to me how they can spend that much money and achieve so little but they achieve something at the cost of our kids have got to play it back on top of whatever else yeah, I was a bit grumpy this week uh, with with the news, and we talked about that beforehand. It's it's you sort of go through it, and as you say, in the in the lead up to the election, it's going to get more and more extreme.
1: Yeah, it will go. Um, just directly above the Shane to piece, of course, is Paula Bennett, who um, is asking people to stop being mean about her friend Lux, uh, and I think this is this Did is. She she called him, I think she just called him Lux, or did she call him Luxie? No, I think it was just Lux. But anywho, again, a lot of this is, I think we're going to see a lot of playing the man, not the ball stuff between now and the election, and we're just going to, to deal with that. And speaking of uh, playing the man, not the ball, I talked briefly about this with Cam yesterday. I wanted to dive in it with you. five pages. Five pages, Sunday Star Times, the first five pages yeah. which were probably, if you got the Sunday Star Times, it was about the only thing worth reading. Cry Freedom was the headline in crowded rooms on the campaign trail. Winston Peters seems more willing than other mainstream politicians to hear out conspiracy theories, but can he ride his freedom wave all the way to the beehive? Uh, courtesy, courtesy of we uh, Charlie Mitchell and uh, Katie Kenny. So there was somebody at the Napier meeting that was here the other weekend, which I didn't get to because I was up playing in the yeah. Philadelphia with you. Just an overview of this piece to begin with. A, the, the interesting thing around this, and Cam brought it up yesterday because he sort of took Charlie to task over it once it dropped on Sunday night. Yeah. Charlie claims he'd written all of this piece prior to Cam's Crunch Thursday interview with Winston. However, there are quotes in there verbatim from that interview. So I suspect that Charlie did sort of pop in and check in and Reality Check Radio did warrant to mention. They're talking about people attending these meetings. Winston is packing out these halls up and down the country and the numbers are only getting bigger. Uh, He's had several hundred in uh, in Napier. I know he had over 700 in Taironga this past weekend. And a lot of people from the freedom community are attending these meetings.
0: The, the self-proclaimed uh, freedom community. There are the all self... these little smears. And... <laughs>
1: yeah, and the, but there's also a lot of people in here that are undecided voters. I'm still mm. an undecided voter. Now, the reason I say this is one of the questions quoted in this article, I know who asked it. And mm. I actually contacted them and said, I feel like your question's only been half quoted in this article and it was.
0: Is this the um, another question came from someone who claimed to be a medical specialist?
1: Yeah. And I can tell you right now, there's no claim about it. They are currently a medical specialist working in the system. Yeah. Well, in the private system, but they are. Yes, they are a medical specialist. There is a certain issue I cannot talk to you about because it doesn't fit with the narrative from the podium of truth, he said, noting that he feared being deregistered if he said more. I think medical professionals are being censored, one woman added, how are you going to protect it? Now, what they didn't say for the rest of that question is he did say, how are you going to approach the level of medical uh, censorship, particularly in medicine, where people like me can't speak honestly because of fear of deregistration?
0: Yeah, I mean, I've, I've they left I've,
1: that part I've of the question out.
0: Before that was one of the most pernicious parts of the whole story, and it never warranted a mention. Was Dear Leader basically sending doctors, nurses, health professionals a letter saying, If you step out of line, uh, we're going to deregister you. Okay, so you better say what we want. Then. A couple of short weeks later saying, actually, you know, the best person you can talk to about this is your is your GP, because they know you, and we've threatened them. Mm. So they're going to say what we want them to say. And, and that seemed so cynical and so sinister. And yeah, I think it warranted more, yeah, a bit more examination, mm. a bit more sunlight.
1: And I mean, Winston is prepared to, to take a look at these issues, he has always been a nationalistic politician. I mean, it's in the title of his party, for goodness sake, oh. New Zealand First. Yeah. So if it directly relates to New Zealand, that is what he'll be looking at. And this is the one thing I think Charlie did get right, is most politically homeless have rejected in some form by all parties currently in Parliament. New political parties intending to channel the energy have faced internal struggles and thus far have struggled to break through. With three months until election day, some are turning to New Zealand's most experienced politician who has shown he is one of the few willing to hear him out. It is not only reflected in the people attending the meetings. A group called Voters United set up to mobilise these potential voters towards one party on an election day, released periodic and in brackets, unscientific, there's that little jab again, polls. In April, New Zealand First received 11% support. This week it received 26%, the highest of any party. I'm still undecided, so I'm going to put that out there for people. I'm still casting around, but what I did do is, because of course there was another poll out a couple of days ago, and what we're seeing is with the two major parties, with the two feeder minor parties below them, so National and Act, Labour and the Greens, all we're seeing between those four parties, in between the two of each of them, is just, they're moving the deck chairs on the Titanic, basically. Yeah, We've seen a dip in the last poll, you've seen a dip from Labour, which have essentially has gone directly to the Greens, directly attributable with the captain's call that Chippy made while he was away about dumping the wealth tax, which I think came as a bit of a bolt from the blue. Oh, Squealer. Oh, Squealer Robertson, yeah. Tax. He wanted and, to get Mount out in the trough. Exactly, and they'd done all that work on it. So I think there is a portion of those progressive Labour voters uh, who have gone and jumped across to the Greens, because, of course, that's OK, because Marama... Marama is going to give back $350 million of land back to Māori or
0: housing, whatever it is. I've got a, I mean, you've seen my my house. I've got a pretty small, it's less than, certainly less than quarter of an acre. I've got 35 fruit trees on it. You know, I've got a whole lot of berries, whole lot of vegetables. There's no grass out the back. You can have all the land you want. And I mean, I've had jobs um, driving around farms on the East Coast. You know, some farms look better than others. You yeah. know, some farms have pretty scraggy looking stock and degraded rivers and it's what you do with land. You know, you there's no no point in focusing on just getting land. It's how it's um it's looked after that counts. Mm. They'd One be of better the- off spending that money on developing Maori land so you know, ordinary Maori could maybe start building villages on it. Mm.
1: Communities you know, and some and living on it. There are some hapu that do that. You know, There are yeah. it depends from hapu to hapu. You know, yeah. One of the things I thought I'd do, with because there are so many polls now and we're going to be polled out until the wazoo, is I thought I'd have a little dive around to see if there's some trends in those numbers. And the, there are some pretty macro trends, right? We're seeing support for both Labour and national has stagnated.
0: Mm.
1: It fluctuates a little bit up and down and those fluctuations are directly reflected in... the Greens. But I've been looking at at the other end of the spectrum, the ones outside of the political tent. that Charlie is sort of surmising. What about those people? Now, at the moment with all polling, and I went back about six months, the polling numbers sitting outside parties that currently reside in Parliament roughly averages around 8%, which bears true because in the 2020 election, there were 7.8% of votes that got unallocated to parties Mm. outside of the spectrum this is party votes so that is about right it's the don't know number the don't know number is quite large the don't know number sits anywhere between 12 and 18 percent, depending on the poll that you look at so if you if we average that say to 15 percent of people don't know you've got eight that don't want one of the current, well, and that and that's not including Te Mata so this is everything outside of Parliament currently. So if you're looking at eight, looking at Parliament outside currently, you've got 15 roughly uh, for a don't know. You throw that together, that's 23%. That is nearly one quarter of all New Zealanders are not happy with the consensus. Nearly one in four, not happy with the consensus and don't quite no. know where they're going to go. And when you're looking at Labour at 30%, I just think it's very, very arrogant to write off people like Winston Peters. He only needs to coalesce one and a half to two percent of that vote now to get over the line without an electorate seat, which is no small thing. I mean, generally, I I don't think any party's got in just over the five percent, have they? They've always had an electoral seat.
0: No, the Greens got in um, without uh, seats until Chloe Swarbrick.
1: No, 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 Jeanette Fitzsimons. Sorry, oh, I, yeah. I disagree. She she won Coromandel. That's how they got in initially. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm, I'm, sure. Almo- I'm, I'm sure. almost certain on that. someone actually, if somewhat Tane. We need Tane. Where's Tane when we need yeah. him? Because he knows. I'm almost that's certain that's right. that they had an
0: electorate seat. Well, I do know that uh, the trend is generally for New Zealand First to come up as a, as we approach the election, and and the major parties to come down. And uh, you know, I know through my little networks that um, they're looking at some candidates that will bring some of those votes in that uh, are people who are horrified at the lack of disagreement within parliament. You know, I mean, I think whatever you think about vaccination and bodily autonomy and informed consent... I think most people could agree it's good to have some dissenting views in Parliament. We don't have an Alex Antic like Australia does. We we don't have that one or two voices that will say, hey, I I disagree, the devil's advocate, almost. There's this sickly consensus that I think a lot of New Zealanders, whatever their views on on COVID or the World Economic Forum or anything like that, I, I think it makes them uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, I think it I think it does. And, and it's interesting you say that, because that article focused really heavy on what Charlie would call vaccine conspiracy.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, mm-hmm. now you and I have said this time and time and time again, and we tend not to talk about this because there's so many other things to talk about. So let's park the good page in a bit that Charlie dedicated to that. Let's park that off to one side and then they have a little jab around, again, still around vaccines and still around vaccination rates. So they they dedicate essentially the whole back end of the article to that is the issue for, for these voters, which, again, I think long voter draw, rather. It's some voters it is. But for many voters, it's not. For many voters, they're wanting to vote around actual freedom. You know, like Mm. not being illegally locked down like they were to begin with and laws being made retrospectively to to be jammed through. They don't want to have our rights removed like they were, like the digital vaccine passports introduced without consultation, to the point that Amnesty International said, hey, New Zealand, you know, that's not cricket. They want New Zealand to be looked after first. They don't want to see $19 million going off to wetlands in Asia. They want to see $19 million spent on dropping the Health waiting lists in New Zealand fixing the freaking potholes. Finally, people are going, Oh, you national going on to fix oh, the fixing potholes. Yeah, I mean, Features, not benefits. Well done, <laughs> national. Yes, fix the potholes. Yeah, you're getting there. I you're mean, there, you're you know, getting
0: 19, there. $19 million for wetlands in Asia. Yeah, okay. For me, the big thing is $70 billion this decade on Paris Accord commitments, and not just our Paris Accord commitments, but the additional ones that James Shaw's been flying around the world begging for New Zealand to be subject to on the basis of um, agriculture. I don't think a lot of Kiwis understand that. No. We didn't have to put agriculture in our emissions. We, we were exempt from it. That little weasel has been flying around the world begging for New Zealand economy to be dismantled because, I mean, that's what Marxists like. Mm.
1: No, they you do. know, in it, in you, you,
0: you make everyone poor, then the equity. That snivelling yes. little carotid grand. Mm. So, yeah, I, I get, if if any Parker says to me, oh, treaty, you know, gravy train, it's like, hey, that's about $3.5 billion and we've torn ourselves to bits as a country over it. These guys are wanting to spend $70 billion, both National and Labor are all for it, neither of them have, this decade, $70 billion, 30 times the total treaty settlements. Mm. And we, we, we're we not allowed to read any opposition to it in the paper. Mm. That, if you're looking for the low-hanging fruit, that's it.
1: Mm. As Kiwis too, we've always loved the fact that, you know, we feel that we punch above our weight. The reality of it is, is that we don't need to punch above our weight. And I think we need to make sure that we put the work in down in this country before we, as you said, try and make ourselves look good on a world stage and yeah, on a global you spend stage. spend
0: $1 billion improving the quality of our rivers, then the oceans around New Zealand will come alive. Then you'll have something like 70% of the oxygen comes from seaweed, right? You'd improve that. Mm. Uh, you know, the, the whole idea that, we borrow that money. We get we get the bankers to print it as debt that our descendants are going to have to pay back. We send it to corrupt developing nations with nuclear weapons programs that are still building coal-fired power stations via corrupt carbon markets where 65 to 90 percent of transactions are fraudulent, to have zero effect on reducing a trace gas which is only three percent anthropogenic. Only three percent of CO2 is human in origin that's vital to all life. It won't even do that. The fact that we're not allowed to talk about it on those terms bothers me mm. a lot.
1: Yeah, it, it does. It does. So that piece, Sunday Star Times, uh, it was also online without a paywall, so you can go and check that out. Again, we're going to talk a lot about elections leading into the election. All of us will. I know you're covering it in political panel. We, we talk about it, it here from a media perspective I just hammer home, for those of you who are in the undecided camp, so I'm part of the sort of 15-ish percent, remember you do have two votes, Mm. okay? So you you are able to cast your vote in different directions if you so choose. I think that is something very, very important that we need to remember as well. I think that that will allow us to potentially vote with hearts and heads. Again, I'm still completely undecided, What I do love about that, though, is it says to me that people like Charlie Mitchell and the other Lassie, they're listening, they're aware. Winston is starting to make inroads Mm. into consciousness that there is a really decent number of voters out there who are engaging to actually hear what they say and are looking for somebody that will at least represent them.
0: Well, I'll tell you the other thing is that New Zealand First has gone after some of the candidates that got spat out of the Democracy NZ fiasco. And I personally know a lot of those people, and I know them to be people of considerable talent and considerable knowledge and considerable integrity. And if he's talking to those people, they're going to put a bomb under him in terms of his knowledge about what's going on. And, and when you are around, I guess, the people who are in, in that camp, you know, that are so so derisively described by those hacks, when you know them and you know how much more intelligent they, they are than, I mean, I've spoken to doctors who've sort of said, oh, you know, the Ministry of Health tend not to put us crook on this stuff. Whereas the doctors who are against it have read the peer-reviewed literature and they've they've done deep deep dives, so I know which one I'd I'd trust more: the one who's just listening to what the Ministry of Health's saying, or the one who's doing their own thinking. In their it's own funny
1: research. you should say that because one of the things that we discussed um, briefly was about fact-checking some of the numbers that Charlie had in that article. Uh, and now I know in terms of the excess deaths, they didn't not say that the excess deaths were not happening, but they brush those off because it was that it's okay those ex- de- no it's okay those excess deaths because they're old people yeah because their lives obviously are not worth anything so yeah th- if it was that, that,
0: not young people as you'd expect
1: as you'd expect mm, I think if we took Guy Hatchard would disagree with that however that aside he obviously had other numbers now he would have submitted those numbers to the Ministry of Health uh, or submitted the requests to the Ministry of Health for his fact checking the Ministry of Health has supplied that information back
0: yeah so people disagreeing with the Ministry of Health are contradicted yeah. by the Ministry of Health. There was a very interesting, and you know, some data that came out on the disability figures out of the States. Did you see that graph where, oh, you know... Oh, the
1: Ed Dowd graph, the one that kind yeah. of looks like the Matterhorn and goes, oh, shoots straight UK up.
0: sorry, PIP clearances. Yeah. You're looking at monthly uh, PIP, very flat, only kind of a 10% wavering from mm. 2016 2018
1: and a pip clearance is like um a claim clearance isn't it it's the yeah. when a claim has been settled or yeah
0: it, it's flattish, or just just very neatly conforming up and down to around this trend line which is flat right up until early 2021 and it just takes off like a rocket and so you you've got it Going from so the percentage was around twenty five percent, and it's up to about a, it's one hundred and eighty percent. That's not a a blip. No, and those PIP clearances are going to be in a pretty stable ratio with deaths.
1: Yeah, look, only sort of time will tell with a number of these things. I did dig out. I did dig out. Where is it? Andrea Vance this week, too, sort of dived Everyone dived into politics this week. I mean, Heather Duplacian, and just quickly, she dived in, crashed poll, a wake-up call for Labour. Uh, again, I was just doing those numbers. The biggest thing she highlighted was in terms of performance and the turmoil around that and the concern that Hipkins might have. Andrea Vance went one step further. Hipkins is determined to win at all costs, but is Labour's sole price? In the battle of Chris versus Chris, something is off. Christopher Luxon's presentation problems have been wide, widely canvassed. Commentators have correctly diagnosed that he is the main reason the party isn't polling better. Robotic and prone to mistakes. He's what you get of gp would a leader for the National Party. But equally strange is the, the characterization of Christopher Hipkins as some kind of political ingenue. This is the narrative Hipkins has weaved around himself, the boy from the hut who found himself prime minister, pinching himself after Jacinda Ardern's resignation. It's a meta cliche that we in the media regularly default to. There it mm. is again in Beijing, the man more at home in the cosy Club than in the Great Hall. The reality is so much more. Hipkins is complex, ambitious and one of the most ruthless politicians we have. He's a scrapper battle-hardened from Labour's brutal nine years in opposition and following the fall of Helen Clark's government.
0: Well, the worst bit is tutored by Trevor Mallard. He learnt the dark arts of politics under the shadow of arch-parliamentarian Jerry Brownlee and by watching John Key, who alternated charm and vicious real politic. I mean, I find the whole front of Ardern and Hipkins is just, oh, you know, I'm just... I like to eat sausage rolls and drink Diet Coke, or, oh, you know, I've got anxiety and I want to be kind. It's it's so much more sinister than someone who just is blatantly, has some tyrannical impulses, which both of them did.
1: And he is vastly more ideological than the very carefully crafted persona yeah. goes to you know,
0: and people think, "Oh, you know, how's he going to hurt me?" His little beady eyes and his little sausage roll eating tendencies.
1: Well, yeah, just look at—he was police minister when policing was softened. He was oh. the education minister when all of those policies were put in place that have a very strong ideological bent. Then he moved. So what? He went to police. He went to education. Oh, ha- oh hello, COVID. Mm. And then he yeah. was COVID minister. I mean, he. He is ambitious. His
0: fingerprints are on all of the crap.
1: Everything.
0: He's saying yesterday's paper, Kiwis have had a gutsful of people thinking the rules don't apply to them, and I've had a gutsful as well. Well, it's taken you a while, hasn't it, to get to that point? Because while does retail crimes been what, doubling? Yeah. The, the convictions are going down because you don't like the idea that maybe the the racial profile of some of the people doesn't suit your narrative. So you're willing to sacrifice hardworking retail business owners for your ideology.
1: Mm. Too little, too late. Hipkins Policy Bonfire was an attempt to reconnect with voters, but under his leadership, what was left of the party's traditional values has gone up in smoke. Arun won a landslide victory on a cautious, centrist platform. Really, Andrea? Her government had a mandate to tackle the country's housing, climate and poverty crisis. Okay, more of that memory holing. The rise of radical progressive left, which represents only a minority of the population, but dominates Labour and Twitter, corrupted the party. Its values were a world apart from the values of the average voter. The party's public spending policies are failing. The healthcare service is crumbling with doctors, nurses and other health workers overworked and struggling to make ends meet on low salaries. Schools, politics and universities are in a state of ruin and soaring prices and painful interest rates have heightened inequality. Yet last week, Hipkins killed plans for the fairer tax system. Now, the thing is, is that he is part of that minority.
0: And in this article, the media is part of it because the next sentence is Labour now remains trapped in the ideological comfort zone of low taxation. I don't think most Kiwis would agree that we're um, living in a comfort zone of low taxation.
1: I can tell you right now, I've got a twitchy passport just so Yeah,
0: it, it's not sustainable.
1: It is not sustainable. It is not. And People are going to start to leave. I mean, I couldn't find the story. I, th- I thought it was in the weekend papers. It might have been on Friday's Herald Mark Ellis announcing that he is leaving yeah, this country.
0: In, yeah, Hosking talked about it on ZB as well. Yeah,
1: and, and he's off to Italy, and I think he'll be the first of many. I know that there are ones that the Zuru Toys crew, They whilst they have a base in New Zealand, I can bet you dollars to donuts if you looked at any of those key business entrepreneurs in New Zealand. Who, who we proudly call as our Kiwi entrepreneurs, I'd love to know how many of them are actually tax residents mm. in New Zealand. Which well, means Even those...
0: Joyce, I think you you didn't have this, did you? No, but I didn't. Um, he excoriated, and it's just, you know, who would have thought Marxist student politicians. You know, I've never had a job that didn't involve moving up the conga line of suck holes, aren't good at managing an economy. All of their progress is based on incurring horrible debt mm. at the cost of business. So, yeah, he was basically saying left wing politicians seem to have no idea how the decisions that create wealth in this country are made. And, you know, there was recently that, you know, Chippy's, you know, mixing with the um, business community because he hasn't really got any business contacts. It's like, how do you do that? Must have mm-hmm. gone to endless openings and things like that. You not have any friends at all who aren't Marxist student politicians.
1: That's okay. He's in it for you.
0: Yeah. He's in it. I
1: mean, you. there's
0: a lot underlined in this. While left-wing pundits think they can pick on people with assets with impunity, the public realize how self-defeating that would be. And I think, you know, we've often said that. I mean, I'm I'm not super money-driven or super wealthy, but I understand how vital people who um, do build big businesses are to an economy. Mm. Their children resent them often and they pay a heavy price for it. I mean, you know, with the business I've got, you know, you do go through a lengthy period where has cars of your staff looking better than your car and you kind of start to make headway and then you need a, a vital bit of capital equipment and so you're back to buying groceries on the credit card. You know, there's a there's a long grind and and if people don't think it's worth it, they'll go somewhere where it is worth it.
1: Well, or, we haven't even dived into um, SMEs in this country, yeah. but both of us are, are people that our livelihood, we've been there for a long time, so small to medium enterprise. It has been systematically destroyed.
0: Yeah, well, he, said, you know, he closes by saying political left in this country almost always ends up in the same place. High government spending, big fiscal deficits, inflation, domestic recession, big balance of payments deficit, a squeezed middle class and more people leaving for a better life elsewhere. I'd say the difference in this time to previous times when, you know, elected a more conservative government to kind of clean up the mess is that Kiwis, especially young voters, have been through an education system that's just been slowly flooded with Marxism. And so critical thinking's been replaced by well, what's the right thing to think? Or what do good people think? You want to be a good person, don't you? And that could, as it is in the States, you know, that that could head off the corrective measure that could mean we ride it all the way down.
1: Mm. The interview I've had just prior to this was with a chap called Tim Mitchell from Hartford College in New South Wales. And they have gone and created their own school in Sydney, in inner, inner Sydney, based around the traditional liberal arts and classic education for exactly those sorts of reasons. So parallel structures are beginning to appear certainly across there. And it was fascinating talking to him and just all of those foundations and the importance of those foundations and the biggest thing with them is to create, and it's a boys' school, to create young men who are critical thinkers to be able to formulate and help make these important decisions moving forward. Because as he said, when they looked at a survey with CEOs, a huge number of the top CEOs had uh, liberal arts educations around these classic Western values. There's a reason that
0: aristocratic uh, families send their kids to to get those sort of educations. Mm. They give you a broad understanding of the sweep of time that's just not possible in a modern education system. And, I think also, I mean, you know, another theme I picked up in the paper this week was particularly around women, but it's also around Māori. Just this, it's not your fault, you know. There's I started off by looking at Kitty Allen, you know, like Alan added, "It's been a really tough time for me lately, and I've really appreciated all the aroha that's come my way. It's helped me to get through, and I know I can come out of this a stronger and better person." I mean, there's the lady, you know, and this is I'm not going to go into this and you know use it for a political point, but the we're going through this harrowing trial started this week. Um, that woman who's murdered her three young mm. children and is pleading insanity. Insanity. I actually went into a spy this week. You'll be proud to know, Jonah um, Hill. You know, there's been that brouhaha. Ding. I haven't used. We haven't used that word yet, because he actually gave his um, girlfriend a list of things that he'd prefer she didn't do if she wanted to be his girlfriend. And it was just kind of like, don't show your ass on social media, please, you know. And it's, yeah, the lady who's writing it said, I actually snort snort laughed when I read the toxic list of demands. And one of my favorites was friendships with women who are un, in unstable places and from your wild recent past beyond getting a lunch or coffee or something respectful. So what he's saying is, don't go out to the club with your homemates. You know, I guess if you're wanting to head off trouble at the past, it's actually not a bad point. Mm. You know, you're a movie star, you're under under a bit of um scrutiny. But yeah, the, this lady just really saw that as, you know, that setting of boundaries as being toxic rather than someone's right to say, hey, if you want to be in a relationship with me, I'd rather you didn't do some of the stuff you've been doing. There was an article on this ex-SAS soldier who's living in a caravan and suffering mm. from I did see that. Yeah, suffering from basically a brain injury that that's the the Veterans Affairs are just it's not on their radar. But it's a sort of brain injury you get when you're ex- exposed to multiple explosions each day. Mm. You know, because these guys are doing breaching doors and training and stuff. This guy's sort of saying. He isn't looking for sympathy. He wants a system that works for him and other veterans who have served in modern conflicts. So you sort of contrast that with this whole series of excuse making and lack of personal accountability for women, and it's deliberate.
1: Did you see the other article in the Herald on Sunday that ties into that one? Because I think that one was—is was that also Herald on Sunday or Sunday Star Times? One oh, about the Afghanistan that was, veteran. Uh,
0: Weekend Herald.
1: Weekend Herald. So on the Herald on Sunday, the following day. Uh, an exclusive Sawura Gardner's final act could improve veterans' care. And Sawura Gardner, who passed away last year, he had put in, because he knew that it would have the case would happen posthumously, but he was talking to somebody else who, uh, he died of a brain tumour. Shortly after the di- diagnosis, Parata, which is Hekia Parata, who is the widow of Sawura Gardner, visited by a long-standing friend, Ross-Hinemao, with whom he would served in Vietnam, um, Himona, sorry, Hemona who served from 62 until retiring as a major in 1982, is oh, a kaumatua highly regarded for his legal focus on veterans issues. When Hemona visited, he encouraged Garner to make a claim that the malignant neoplasm of the brain and the glioblastoma that would claim his life was also related to the military service. So they they did this on the basis the brain tumour claim accepted by Veterans Affairs in 2013. Before the new law was passed, that case summarised by the board and a barrister, Christopher Griggs, an international expert in military law, was a precedent that glioblastoma and Vietnam veterans might be related to their service due to the exposure of a- Agent Orange. And having dealt with Veteran Affairs for other medical things in my former life, Veteran Affairs is like, any other government department, whether it be ACC, and they're even more strident, ACC, any of those others, if you're trying to get a claim sorted for a veteran through Veteran mm. Affairs, A, it takes forever, and B, it's most likely declined.
0: And they're running down the clock, so more people die, so their exposure's less. I, I, uh, Big time. One of the worst sleeps I ever had was uh, staying on a Marai with korean and vietnam veterans uh, near takaha to see willie Ap- apiata get his vc they invited me along with them and uh I- i'm really close friends with a-, a lot of the vets in on the east coast and uh, they're incredible people uh mm-hmm. but man they scream and sound like they're choking all night long and if you're in a room with about 40 of them yeah it's not a good sleep no, so I, couldn't I can only imagine, imagine what it's like for them and their families
1: now I'm looking at the time. We've gone on quite quite a long time. What else have you got on your list before I get to my happy story?
0: I had a funny week this week. Normally I can kind of, you know, go through, pull out some data. Whole thing just kind of washed over me a little bit. So yeah, no, get let's get to your happy uh place and and chop out the worst excesses of my um my crossness, maybe. <laughs>
1: The story I've got is, uh, the nice story, is Harry McCleary clan find a perfect likeness. So they've been doing a a lookalike competition Say hello there to the real life Harry McCleary clan. Last month it was announced the children's book characters were celebrating a massive anniversary and the Kiwis were invited to bring their own canine pals to the party. To mark 40 years since the terrier first went out the gate, offer a walk. of special anniversary hardback edition of Dame Linley Dodd's Harry McCleary from Donaldson's Dairy is being published. And some very special pups will get their paws on a copy. Publisher Penguin Random House put a call out for Kiwi dog owners to ask them to share photos of their fairy pals that resembled Harry McCleary and his ragtag bunch of mates. Now the results are in, the winners are announced. With more than 1,600 submissions to choose from, they found it tricky to pick the winners. Thankfully, one special person was able to make the call, a dodd herself. So they did that, and the winner for Hercules Morse was a dog called Butters from Auckland. He's a sleepy giant, looks just like the book character, and he is an English Mastiff who is a biological brother to our dog, Rufus.
0: Oh, my gosh. You fa- uh,
1: so Rufus's brother when, um Hercules Morse is as big as horse, so there you go
0: Maybe you should have entered uh,
1: your dog Rufus, I actually saw the competition and I was going to enter Rufus and then, you know life ensued, like this job and everything else so I didn't get around for it, but I'm I've pleased s- that Rufus's brother won, so yay
0: There was that hilarious outrage over someone had done up that book to be Harry McClary ram raids a dairy.
1: Actually, speaking of books in the news yesterday morning, did you hear about Pauline Hanson's book in Australia? No. So uh-huh. she's put out a book She's put out a book in Australia about The Voice, you know, which is the vote, right. we actually. We, and I think we need to get onto that potentially next week. I did pull out a clip for this week, but it's that's heating up that. Yeah, I pulled uh, out a clip
0: too. Yeah. A the any, to times.
1: I think we could probably pull out the same one. So, anywho, the, um, Pauline Hanson has put out a book about what the, uh, the reasons why Australians should vote for The Voice in the upcoming referendum, and it's 100 pages and they're all blank. And it's reach number two on the Amazon bestseller list for Australia.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, again, it's worth looking at all that stuff internationally. I saw, you know, Trudeau's got the same thing. And again, it's that point I made about women thinking Rockefellers and the CIA Mm. were doing them a big favour.
1: I think that could be something we can dive into for next week. eh? Yeah.
0: uh, I'll I'll, uh, do some reading. Hey, well, thanks for
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you to everyone for listening. As I said, if you've got any feedback for Marty and I, we love to hear it. Inbox at realitycheck.radio or 2057 is the text. And also topics too. We've actually had some really good uh, feedback across all of the counterculture shows. We've had people that for suggestions for interviews. There's been lots of different stuff uh, recommended and we really, really do enjoy that. So do um, make sure you do it. Uh, you're back with political panel... Uh, this week, Friday, this, yep, Friday, yeah, and then uh, you and I, we next week.
0: I'm taking a break next week, yeah. Oh, it's, I'm, it's I'm, the following uh, week. Yep, and I'll uh, I'll file my report the following week.
1: Following week, I will actually we'll do the voice the following week because you were going yeah to the West Island. That's right, yeah. That's right. So we will do the voice the following week. I've actually got um, Tane sitting in for Marty next week, so young Tane, so Tane and I will will chew the issues then. As I said, if you've got feedback, 2057 is the number, and I will catch, you'll catch Marty, Marty on Friday and then back with me in a couple of weeks.
0: Have a great week. This is Counterculture with Marie Busky. Wednesdays at 10am on Reality Check Radio.